It's rare that a movie's title is also its log line. Yeah. Uh, they deliver exactly what the title promises. We have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And we're just a pair of, I'd say I'm okay, um, middle-aged guys. Yeah, well-adjusted middle-aged guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which would make a lot less interesting movie because today we are reviewing the 1993 movie Grumpy Old Men. Ah, uh, yes. And and I think it's worth calling out why we're reviewing this because oh, yes. uh, David Fincher's Mank recently came out. Or this weekend it, it came out and um, uh, that follows the making of Citizen Kane. So, <laughs> starring Gary Oldman. Uh, so naturally we're reviewing Grumpy Oldman. Flawless, uh... Like, thought-connecting. Maybe my favorite justification we've ever done to really go away from the obvious thing. This is a kind of loose association that our listeners really want from us. I was like, wait, yeah. how did you got that from that? I mean, I got to hand it to you, Ricky. I think it's worth calling it out because when, when we were like, oh, Mank is the big movie, I was like, I guess we're finally doing Citizen Kane. And he said, hold that thought. <laughs> Who's in Mank? Okay. Uh, I raise you a Walter Matthau. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And raised it, we did. So if you are unfamiliar with this movie, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna take you further back than 1993 when the movie was released. Um In 1968, there was once upon a time a movie called The Odd Couple, and it starred Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Uh, It was an adaptation of Neil Simon's hit play, you guessed it, The Odd Couple. Uh, Jack Lemmon was actually uh, reprising his role from the stage, but if you've ever seen any kind of sitcom TV show where there are opposites who just do things so just sillily... Uh, someone's straight laced and someone is um, messy. We have the the odd couple to thank for it, and this movie really just solidified it into uh, the public's knowledge. But the, it started with the movie, not necessarily the TV show. Uh, so the premise of the movie is Oscar Madison, played by Matt Bow, is a divorced sports writer who lives in a spacious but horrifically messy apartment. He hosts a weekly Friday night poker game, which includes as one of the players, Felix Ungar, played by Lemon, a persnickety writer for TV news. Felix is in a state of grief and despair. His wife, Frances, has just left him. And after Felix nearly kills himself by jumping into a river, Oscar takes him in. Comic situations ensue, and super neat freak Felix and Oscar the Slob irritate each other. So, just to be clear, that's not the movie we reviewed. (laughs) Surprisingly not. (laughs) All right. Uh, And so, this pairing um, between Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau happened six times in film, uh, this being one of the most iconic. And this movie... uh, they made several adaptations of, including a popular TV show that ran from 1970 to 1975. Talk about Odd Couple. Yes, The Odd Couple. Yes. Uh, Even there's a Matthew Perry version most recently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was uh, and that, that was another TV show. And mm. um, with the success of Grumpy Old Men, they actually made an Odd Couple 2. 
um, afterwards, uh, after this so they ex- kept just alternating <laughs> these roles. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, that brought us to the 1993 movie, which originally I found out was designed to reunite Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, uh, mm. but both declined uh, because of Martin's frail health, which prevented him from taking the role. Um, at the time, very physical, physical movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so they decided to get another iconic pair, that of Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, which brings us to the synopsis of Grumpy Old Men, which you know it's basically the odd couple, but they're older. Uh, so and it, separate houses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it centers on two well, you know, grumpy old men. Uh, John Gustafson, uh, played by Jack Lemmon, and Max Goldman, played by Walter Matthau, who've been neighbors for over 50 years and bickering for most of it, all while ice fishing on the local lake and putting up with their kids. Uh, With John's daughter, played by Daryl Hannah, and Max's son, played by Kevin Pollack. And all has changed when the love interest, Ariel, played by Anne Margaret, moves in across the street and their old feud goes all out to try to win her hand and it went with on the uh the irs uh worker the great buck henry that's right uh, knocking on jack lemon's door and uh, i mean he's one of in my opinion one of the greatest snl hosts of all time he's he's in the five times club and all that kind of stuff uh and on 30 rock played liz lemon's father you're right uh, so I'm, a, I'm a big buck henry fan so it was fun to see him pop up it's such a huge star-studded cast too yes um and uh, people that you're just like wow what what legends working in the same space were like Anne margaret even with bye bye birdie fame to to see that like earlier in her career and then uh to have this role as well it's just so many uh funny familiar faces yeah and the 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 script just really felt like it was really a huge love letter to a lot of these actors careers i mean they made several callbacks to different movies or just their different types and it really just played to their strengths like i Mm. i believe these characters uh and we would be remiss not to mention uh burgess meredith as as well yep who plays the older grumpy old man uh of jack lemon's father uh who i mean burgess meredith had such a huge career, but one of his most famous roles uh, was as the as the coach in Rocky. Yep, uh, Rocky's trainer. And so in this, I don't know if you watch the outtakes uh, after the movie. Oh yes, but that that man has a mind for euphemism. Let me let oh, me tell you that. Yes, he does. Yeah, and seeing Ozzy Davis in there as well, and um, the if you look at IMDb, you just see so many black and white headshots that are just like these people have been in the game. Like they have been delighting audiences for years. And it was really cool to see this movie kind of be a vehicle to show that they all still got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, really just had a delight with a, a delight full time with this movie. And it went on. Like it was the surprise hit of '93, uh, with a budget of thirty-five million dollars, it went on to make over seventy million dollars in the box office. Which oh wow, yeah, which you know that's a lot of um, fish to be found in the back of your car, uh, and so it went on to make a sequel, which is you know appropriately named 
grumpier old men uh, mm. where their antics would ensue in a new location and a uh, good time was had by all uh, with that. And and that's uh, what sequelary is for. It really is. It oh, really yes. is. And one of my favorite things about this movie, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and double check if my brain is correct. But as soon as Walter Matthau uh, said within the first 10 minutes of the movie, uh, he's a menace. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, you're right. They did it. Uh, oh, and Mr. Wilson. So Dennis the Menace actually came out the exact same year. Uh, it was released June of 93. So, you know, they, they know they know what they were going to do. So, so that was actually my first exposure to uh, Walter Matthau. And all of his just extreme talent was in uh, Dennis the Menace. And it's just so fun to see him in uh, a much more foul mouth. <laughs> role uh but also just to see him uh just really be just so witty and talented and expressive and it was just this was my first time watching the movie and so i just i was like man i i'm so glad that i now can identify who these people are and what their talent is and how i can go back and just watch so much of their career yeah, I was more familiar with this uh, this pairing, this really iconic comedy pairing from Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like most people, uh, but I do have very clear memories of seeing the VHS for this in the Blockbuster and the Cox video and all that. Uh, being like, well, that seems like a movie I'm probably too young for because it <laughs> says it's for old men. Um, but this was, it's hilarious. I was laughing out loud. At one point I just paused it and my wife wasn't watching it with me, but she was near me. And I just said, you should know this, this movie is really hilarious. Um, it is a delight that I wish I had seen earlier. And you know, it also, it won some awards too. Um, well, it was nominated. Uh, Jack Lemmon was nominated for funniest actor in a motion picture uh, with the American comedy awards. Um, but it did win. Alan Silvestri won uh, for the music of it. For the, He won a BMI, uh, which as we all know, stands for body mass index mm-hmm. film and mm-hmm. TV awards. Um, and, uh, so it, it has some critical acclaim too. It, it's just a really solid early nineties comedy. And I mean, what I really appreciate about it without dipping too much into reasons to recommend is it, like you said, it's a great vehicle for older comedians. Um, and even, you know, writing it for an, another iconic comedy pair, you really could drop in, uh, so many different great duos, um, and it makes me excited for that format of, of there's so many great comedians today that I would love to see reprise these roles uh, down the line. But uh, there's something special about the personalities here of Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau really just having that shared history. Uh, and that's the thing. I think so many movies that have this kind of buddy conflict, buddy comedy conflict, it's usually they they have a misunderstanding or they get off on the wrong foot or mm-hmm. it's just a bad first impression. This is like, no, no, no. We have decades and decades. It is a well-informed uh, I don't know, hatred. It's not really a hatred because 
it, they're frenemies uh, right. yeah. at the end of the day. But it's like, no, we know exactly who each other are. And we, we choose to feel this way. So I feel like it's just such a richer backstory. And, you know, we, we never have to see them as kids other than that picture. There's no flashback or anything like that. Like, yeah. this is who they are. And we just go along for it. And, I mean, this movie could have been twice as long for me. And I still would have in, enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. Because this movie was just it was just so fun and and something that i was really impressed with like was the range that Mm. these actors had uh because like there were several points in the movie where i was just like oh great so tears are also involved in this movie uh but it's very emotional uh it's very emotional uh and even though i think it is uh you know, there's like a Siskel and Ebert review, uh, which this movie got two stars from them. But I think it was just like they were rating it how we rate things, which is like I liked it because those two actors were great. Two stars. Um, but was it two like two out of five or like two no, thumbs oh, up? Oh no, it was or? two out of five. Um, oh. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, but in that review, they were talking about how like yeah, this is like a bygone era. Uh, the 40s and 50s sitcom. But I think especially with how that's not the format um, that's as popular now, it really does feel new again. It's like, oh, yeah, like we're not used to seeing this every week in um, like a TV show sitcom kind of thing. But we do. It's fun to see this in a different age bracket specifically. Yeah. Uh, but I just I just really enjoyed seeing their specific feud with each other and how like they despise each other, but they still care about each other. Uh, and like despite trying to uh, fight and taunt and tease one another, they still live their life together. <laughs> I just thought that that was just so sweet uh, how how they basically were like, you know what? I love you, but I don't like you. <laughs> yeah, they, they need each other yeah. to a certain degree. There's a purpose behind it. It's the Batman and Joker. They need each other. What, what happens you if you don't have the complete me. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, there, there are so many fun you know, moments to offset the drama, too, because you can have this broad, bold comedy, but then also, like you said, tears. Like the, the when he has to decide or tell the hospital worker, like, friend or family and mm-hmm. he has that moment where he's like oh i am his friend like it took him 50 years to to really let that sink in and those are great moments and then you could turn around and also have a home alone reference while shaving <laughs> like that's <laughs> it has such a palette uh of entertainment in this that uh i'm excited to watch the sequel yeah yeah just more of that <laughs> Oh, yeah. And something else that I thought was really interesting about this movie um, was how they they set it in a very specific place. Um, and, and I think that that also attributed to the world building because so they, they cover a wide breadth of time. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm going to step back and I'm going to come back to that moment moment this was an original screenplay uh this wasn't based on anything uh which i thought was really impressive i'm just like okay so this is based off of a show because it felt like several antics from like a comic strip or like from a a weekly show gag like if you were to watch a family matters movie you would just see a bunch of instances where where steve urkel 
ruins things because that's what he does week to week. And so, yeah, it's like, oh, this is the episode where he tried to win the lottery <laughs> and then he changed. Like, yeah, exactly. it's very episodic. And so I was very surprised because I'm like, oh, wow, they they the amount of times that they were getting at each other and they were upping the ante and they were uh, like basically pranking each other uh, from like Thanksgiving to Christmas, maybe even the New Year's, like the progression of time, I was really impressed with what they were able to fit in there, story-wise and story arc-wise, just for these characters. And they, you only notice it by like them saying "Merry Christmas" or "Oh, it's not even Thanksgiving yet." <laughs> like I just, I just really appreciate that uh, time period and the setting of like snow being everywhere. Uh, and them being in a place where ice exists and ice fishing is a thing that they're doing. And they just had a lot of really great details, that I think, really fit this, uh, this story very well. Yeah, the, the ice fishing is interesting. I can't remember with any certain clarity any other show where I've seen it depicted quite like that. Oh, yeah. Because when you when I first heard, oh, they, they have fishing, that's going to be like the common thing that they do. And then they get there and they're isolated even in their recreation. They have these huts and they just drill through the ice. I'm like, oh, man, everything they do, they have these little boxes where they're keeping people out. And so, yeah, just a really interesting location, interesting kind of like old person culture to it without feeling... Uh, like it's any kind of, it's not really any stigmatization of being old. I mean, I watched this, I was like, man, there are parts of being old that look awesome. Uh, and then yeah. there, there are other parts that, you know, it's, it's the sadder issue of, uh, you know, what happens if you get upside down on income and you don't have family to support you and, and that kind of thing. So I feel like it, it was respectful with the subject matter. It came from a truthful place um, and just, was what it appeared to be and and so that allowed you to really settle in and and appreciate the comedy but then also just resonate with the drama uh i mean so many so many just great tonal moments through this whole thing to where it gets out of its own way and i just really appreciate that yeah and i and i think the the feud that they had with each other well, can only really be escalated. Like, I, I just assume that this happens in Grumpier Old Men. But I think at one point in time, they just have to go off and fire a head cannon. Head cannon. Head cannon is a part of the show. We share with you unique ideas and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, so my biggest piece of head cannon uh, for this movie really just has to do with the lore of what the story like they say like the the story is that they their feud began over uh, a love interest right mm, and right. they we don't know all the story they they said that like basically uh let, let me see if i can remember <laughs> i was just going to say and he said this and she said this uh no so it was jack lemon's character married walter mathau's uh, character's crush mm-hmm. and then she divorced Jack Lemon and then Walter Matthau's wife passed away and so their feud with each other was just always there I guess did, did I get that correct yeah that they had been interested in the same woman early on uh, 
Jack Lemmon married her. She ended up being terrible and like cheated on him and all that. They got divorced, left him. Uh, yeah, Walter Matthau's character married. They and so each guy like had kids and a family and everything. But yeah, it's an interesting argument when they're at the the ice fishing place. And Jack Lemmon is basically saying like, yeah, I like quote unquote won, but she was terrible. And you married someone that was amazing. He's like, yeah, so like you still stole her from me all that, all those years ago. And so, yeah, it's that initial wrong that set their entire relationship in motion. Yeah. And so my headcanon about that is that the, the woman who ultimately left um, Jack Lemmon's character was none other than Daryl Hannah, nay, Fish Daryl Hannah. <laughs> oh, the, from Splash? Madison. That's Madison. her name. Madison from That's not Splash. a name. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, so did, then does uh, does his daughter in this movie have secret Splash powers? She Yes, she does, but she doesn't know about it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. My headcanon, and I was so excited about this, and I wrote it down even before they had the conversation I'm about to reference, but my headcanon was that Ariel, Anne-Margaret's character, is, oh, another mermaid, is the uh, the angel of death, um, like a real, uh-huh. actual angel in charge of death. Uh, so when you look at uh, her story, she is a widow, uh, talks about her, her dead husband. Uh, when Chuck goes over, uh, it, it's like the next day that he dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever she goes to Jack Lemon's house, she's looking through all the photos. She really does skim over all of the family photos until she gets to Jack Lemon's late son, and she stops and touches the frame and she's like, who's this? And he's like, well, that was my son who died in Vietnam. So there's like all of this death that really focuses around her character. They talk mm. about it a lot. Um, and it, I mean, even in the comedic moments when she's fishing, she decides whether the fish lives or dies. And so I think that is her role as the angel of death, that she has the ability to take life or give it. Which explains the ending of the movie, spoiler alert, when Jack Lemon has the heart attack, it's, it, he's unconscious until Ariel gets there and then decides, I want him to live. And you see like the cross on the wall behind them and there's all of this, this language around it too because she's like, well, my husband died at Easter and it's Christmas and I don't want you. So there's all of this kind of like religious components to it. But what really solidified it was uh, why it was when they're uh, it's one of their first dates and she's making snow angels. And the dialogue is so interesting because at, at first it's like she drifts off. Um, and, and so she says, you know, are, he says, are you all right? And she says, uh, yes, I'm an angel. And she says, what? He's like, I'm making a snow angel. <laughs> and then they have this conversation. He's like, do you believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they're all around us. You just have to try to see them. And he says, I think I see one. 
And there's there's all of this language around her being an angel. Wow. And I, it makes sense if she's some kind of immortal being that she would gravitate towards a history professor. And even more sense that she has so many rare antiques in her house that she's collected through her incredibly long life. So I believe Anne-Margaret, immortal, uh, and she has the ability to decide who lives and who dies and and it's not like even a sad death thing it's more about for those that are ready for death she helps them appreciate life before it's their time to go which i think is the connection with chuck's story right. where he's the happiest he's ever been or like in years at least and then that's the day that he goes he dies at his happiest um, so when you think about that, it's a very different movie, um, but it just felt like I was watching an episode of Touched by an Angel once I uh, <laughs> once I locked into that headcanon. When you walk down the road. No, that's... She's like the mix of Roma Downey and John Die from uh, <laughs> Touched by an Angel. Wow. I think that that is just head faction, uh, <laughs> if, if I've ever heard it, that. That tracks very well, Grayson. Good job. Oh, See, what I thought you were going to say is, uh, oh, yeah, Daryl Hannah grows up to be that murderer from Kill Bill. And that <laughs> is the opposite. When you said Angel of Death, I'm like, wait a second. But then I had to remember that Ariel was not Daryl Hannah's character's name. Uh, 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 so anyway. Uh, I lose I, an eye that way. Yeah. Yep. All right. So now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast for a remake. If this movie were to be remade today, who'd you cast? What would the storyline be? You mentioned this before about it being able to be a vehicle for a lot of great comedians. And it actually reminded me of the show uh, that starred Ray Romano and um, and Andre Bogger. Everybody, lo- oh. A uh, man of a certain age, yeah. Man of a certain age, yes. Scott Bakula, I think, was the third. You are that. correct. Yeah. yeah, Scott Bakula. So it reminded me of that because I I thought of a lot of things. I'm just like, man, I would love to see this with just a bunch of comedians. And then I'm like, isn't that just comedians and cars getting coffee? And the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> but I would love for them to somehow make this some kind of anthology series, like mm. what they're doing with American Horror Story but with comedy and with mm. older comedians and each season just follows different uh, different arcs for different comedians and for different scenarios. Like, I just think that this was the perfect odd couple pairing. And like we said, we could just watch them for uh, hours doing this. And so I think that they would basically do that season um, where you have them in this the this particular situation and then another season focuses on different comedians maybe uh in hollywood or in entertainment trying to get back into uh the industry trying to find a vehicle for them or trying to find a role so that they can you know do their own uh you know creative project that this movie basically was for these two actors or mm-hmm. several actors and then another season kind of focuses on uh, someone trying to retire or like I just think that there's a lot of material there with comedians specifically to do that. So that's that's that pitch. I love that. There there was a brief moment like that on an episode of Comedians in Cars. And I think they stumble into like the living room of 
Mel Brooks and Carl yes. Reiner, like yes. watching TV together. And like, yeah, we do this every night. I was like, yes. I just want that. I yep. just want to see what it is now. Living legends. Uh, yeah. Yeah. These great comedians. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think the duo is very important mm-hmm. because it fast tracks your understanding of what the dynamic is and what the relationship is between the two actors before having to go into any exposition. So yeah, that, that chemistry, the comedic chemistry is, is very important. Yeah. And I also think the, um, I think another approach, uh, and I don't know how well this would play because I feel like this is what tends to happen anytime you do what I'm about to suggest, but I would love for them to remake this movie, but with current comedians just playing older characters. Mm. Uh, like, because a lot of people who I would love to see in this role isn't necessarily old. Which, by the way, um, I I just gotta give huge props to everyone who was proposed this movie. Want to be a movie called Grumpy Old Men and not saying why I've never? Uh, they're just like, yeah, let's do it. I get mm-hmm. it. Uh, because being called old is not typically a a, a thing that is received well. Um, and so I, I was thinking like, well, I mean, these people aren't necessarily like in this age range, but I would love to see them in this role and in this age range. And so I think to bypass all of that, like one of my first pairings was like, I would love to see Keenan and Kel. Uh, mm-hmm. I would love to see oh, a Keenan right. and Kel feud, but I'm like, but they're not old enough, but what if they were, <laughs> then we just, uh, get Andy Circus to do all of their older uh, person mocap and then it's them providing the voices uh but I, I would love to see that pairing like that classic duo um or key and peel or any yeah, key and peel was what i was thinking and yeah but just have them play older versions of themselves uh but still having it be uh as true to these characters as they were in this movie because like you mentioned they they at no point in time did it feel like this movie was making fun of older people uh yeah see that's the tricky thing like to have younger cast playing old is very different because what they're really doing is you have old people acting young Mm. and that's i mean they're playing pranks on each other which the i think the smartest decision from the writers of this was was to have the burgess meredith character who puts the whole thing in perspective. He's like, ah, oh, these kids, like I got to separate you two again. Yep. And yep. it's like, doesn't matter how old you are, <laughs> age is in the way you behave and act. And in a lot of ways, that relationship, that antagonistic relationship kept them young. They're playing pranks on each other. Yep. Um, which led me to think I would love to see just Jim and Dwight, you know, 50 years from now, yes. still going at it, playing yes. pranks, reacting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think this might be a first uh, recast remake where we uh, project this 20 years into the future. <laughs> if they did it current day, though, I did have a cast for current day. I would love to, just because I feel like Jack Lemmon is very similar to this actor and the mannerisms and all that, but yep. Brian Cranston, yes, uh, along with, I think, Bill Murray would be a great pairing yes. of the Bill two Murray of them. was... More eccentric. It, yeah. yeah. And Jack Lemmon, you know who he really reminded me of? Uh, well, no, of course, now that I want to say his name, I can't remember it. Uh, Nathan Lane. Uh, oh, okay. They just had a lot of very similar facial expressions where I'm just like, is there, 
Is there any kind uh, of... It's the teeth. It's the I teeth. think it's the teeth, yep. <laughs> uh, but I think Robin Wright would be a good Anne-Margaret character, yeah. too, for mm-hmm. Um yeah, there's just so. And at one point, I was like, "Why don't we just get the cast of It's Complicated? Well, just Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin, Meryl yep. Streep. It's fine. It all works. Yep. Um, but whatever it is, it, it all hinges on that comedic chemistry. Right. One hundred percent. Yeah. So any versions of those um, Hollywood, if you're looking for some ideas to reboot. Um, we will happily sell this for just whatever it costs for us to do this podcast. It's, uh... Bert and Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> now that I would be happy to personally crowdfund <laughs> if if I was capable of successfully crowdfunding things. Uh, it's I called that... the Grumpets. <laughs> oh my gosh! Why? I, Actually, love I it. just want Statler and Waldorf. I just want to see Statler and Waldorf shoot this script. Exactly, exact same script. Change nothing. <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. Oh, that'd be so great. Now we're going to go to our final segment where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend Grumpy Old Men? I recommend Grumpy Old Men because it's such a strong character, dialogue-driven comedy. Um, that also has great physical comedy to it. I love so many of the one-liners. Um, I mean, it has an improvised feel to it, which if you watch the the bloopers, you can definitely see a lot of that is present. Um, but then it, it also has a really strong core message, which is one day you, know, you look back on you know, everything you did and the only thing in life you regret are the risks you don't take. Um, and th- there are several characters that echo that. I mean, Anne Margaret says it to Jack Lemon, who repeats it. But then also in his own way, Burgess Meredith says it in the form of a joke when he says, one day you wake up and you realize you're not 81 anymore. And it's just age is so relative. It's so much about perspective and and the fact that you have so many old characters acting young, I think was really encouraging and it didn't feel false. It just felt youthful. It it, it felt like it had an energy to it. Um, So because of that, I think, and I've I've said this for a long time that comedy keeps people young. I think it's a a life force that, that we tap into. Uh, We don't allow ourselves to age uh, mentally. And so um, all of that put together, it's, it's a movie about togetherness. It's about appreciating experiences, appreciating the relationships in your life, even the ones that uh, cause you frustration some days. Uh, and it's, I mean, it boils down to me to that friend or family moment in the hospital where he, it was the first time in five decades that he stopped and had to take stock of what is this other person to me? At the end of the day, he's my friend. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing. So uh, if you haven't seen this movie, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's, I mean, we were looking for movies that crossed from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We thought we were tapped out with Adam's Family Values. And this one just pops up thanks to Gary Oldman. Yep. So I'm so <laughs> glad that we watched this. It's such a beautiful film with a great uh, message to it. And uh, yeah, if, if you have not seen it, it is now streaming on HBO Max and you definitely want to see it before we inevitably cover grumpier old men. So that's why I recommend this movie. Uh, just a, a heartwarming comedy with a bunch of comedy legends. 
Yeah. You left no reasons for me, Grayson. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I take all the reasons. <laughs> no, see, I, I agree. I think that the reason I'd recommend this movie is um, it is a, a really lighthearted movie about getting old. Um, I mean, it's it, but it's also very true to uh, at least these two characters' experience of it. Uh, kind of like what you mentioned before, just like, yeah, be, there are parts of being old that like look awesome. Uh, I remember some of my friends in high school, um, we, we, we would talk about how like, man, when we get old, like we're just we're going to do everything different. Uh, <laughs> we're just like we we came up with what our. Um, what our names would be when we're older, uh, and how we're you just change gonna, your name when you get older. Yep, we decided we were going to change our to names, what, like, like Pappy, like an old kind of like, yes, what? 100%. Okay. Uh, I remember one of my friends, I think she said that she's gonna change her name to Dottie. Um, oh. and it was, but we just decided that, like, you know, uh, when we don't have all the responsibilities that we have today. Uh, like how we're just gonna like have these different things in our lives, how different things are gonna be for us. Uh, and so I, I, I personally tapped into that, uh, conversation when I was watching this movie. I'm like, wow, like, I think this is how I want it. I want it to go. I want it to go at least partly like this, uh, that you, you, you have this kind of community, uh, and these relationships that have lasted longer than um, uh, what you you can even really trace back to, uh, and I just really admire the friend the frenemyship between these two characters, uh, and and also just how tight knit they were even despite their anger. And I think that that was just really cool to see. Is like even if they didn't like each other, they still engage. Yeah. I think my favorite moment in the movie was at the very end when the movie tries to uh how did I say it Toy Story 3 you um and uh it's revealed that spoiler alert uh he's the best man and uh Jack Lemmon's character's wedding I'm like this is beautiful like they hate each other they are actively insulting one another like throughout this entire ceremony like they don't know how to not do that uh and they're and he's the best man and and it's it's so interesting and fun to see uh that dynamic and that relationship um through these characters um at their stage of life and i think that it's uh it's very heartwarming and uh optimistic to show that like these people in that stage of life still have life to live uh, and they do it in such a very entertaining but very heartwarming way and that's Absolutely. why I- yeah well and I, I think as comedians it's very encouraging too because you know actors age out of so many different types of role whether it's love interests or action stars and all that what this movie really solidifies is you are never too old for comedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Burgess Meredith. Some of the funniest lines in the movie come from the oldest person in the movie. You're never too old for comedy. Yes. And 
That is our review of the 1993 movie Grumpy Old Men. Let us know what you remember about Grumpy Old Men on our social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean um, basically whatever the opposite of finding a fish in the backseat of your car riding Five for days. clean cars. Five yeah. clean cars. <laughs> It would mean at least five clean cars says if you could leave us a rating and review uh, on your favorite podcasting platform of choice on a scale of just that uh, one to five clean cars. Those, would, those air fresheners that hang from the yeah, review mirror. Yeah. pine trees, yeah. Mm-hmm. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flix Retro Movie Podcast. Until next time, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. We're combining our two favorite things, the wonder of Christmas with geographic locations in the 1947 holiday classic, Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, wait a second. Oh, I got turned around. I'm on 43rd. What you got to do, you got to go down 22nd, make mm-hmm. a left on 21st. Okay. And then just flip a UE all the way back about 20 blocks. Okay. And, and if I see Prancer, I've gone too far. Gone too far. Got he it. lives under the bridge. Okay. I assume Santa's an Uber driver <laughs> in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs>